This is Seek Bytes, the software engineering podcast by Seek.com. Join our experts as they share their thoughts and tips on mastering the craft of code. From career advice to technical deep dives, Seek Bytes is the podcast for software engineers by software engineers. Welcome back to the Seek Bytes podcast. Today we're going to be talking about monoliths and microservices. We're going to hopefully touch on which is better and who knows, we might find out by the end. I'm Elliot Miller, Senior Software Engineer at Seek, and today I am joined by William Lark, Senior Software Engineer. Hello. And Seamus Carney, also Senior Software Engineer. Howdy. So today, m- monoliths, that's what we're going to be talking about, and then a bit of microservices. So the, the first question that comes to mind is, what is a monolith? It's... it's uh the start of 2001 Space Odyssey, that big black thing in the in the middle of the uh, the, the desert. Yeah. Is, oh, it's a monolith. That's it a monolith, too. yeah. Oh. And, in, and in tech, I guess, a monolith is just a big, uh, you know, one, I guess for me it would be one one large code base. Uh, that is as, as simple as I could explain it in my side. <laughs> but I'm probably not the best one to talk about them. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think that's like can't really can you define it any other way than it's just one large service mm-hmm. it's one one code base that does a lot of things mm-hmm. okay so when we say one code base is it is it possible to have a monolith that's across code bases so across multiple repositories is that a thing that we could say no 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 at, at risk at risk of, of being wrong <laughs> no i i would i would assume um yeah a monolith would live all in one all in one code base. I, f- I feel like to me that would be the definition. When when we're thinking about one code base, so what what kind of happens from there? So you're like, okay, we've got one code base now. Whether this is SVN, Git, what, whatever, yeah. we've got one repository. Do, what what other characteristics does Monolith have? Well, I already feel like we're gonna we're, we're angering some people already, being like, <laughs> there's no way. Like, I feel like this should be something that isn't challenging to answer yeah what 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 are your thoughts elliot okay so to me a monolith really we're talking it's got one code base okay great so some of the other things you'd say is it's probably running on one single machine quite Mm -hmm. commonly it's going to have one deployment that's really what i kind of think of when i think of a monolith so i'm like okay from the code being written to it being deployed to the end result it's it's sitting on one machine now whether that's a physical machine or whether that's in the cloud, that's kind of irrelevant. It's on one machine. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that I typically think a monolith has is it's got the scale up versus scale out problem. Mm-hmm. A monolith, usually you can only scale up. You can give it a bigger machine. It can have more hard drive space, more RAM, better CPU, but you can't really scale out that well. So when I'm thinking monolith, that's usually what I'm thinking. But there's another factor we haven't thought about, and that's, business logic. So if I'm talking about a monolith, that kind of implies to me that that one thing contains all of my business logic. Is it possible to have a monolith in the sense that it's being deployed, like one thing being deployed that does all the service, like it has the same limitations, like a scale up versus scale out, but the code base is managed independent, like pieces of the, co- like features are built independently in separate repos. I'm kind of, that's not something that I've ever heard of, but the way that you, the way that you describe that made me think, is there a scenario where people have microservice level repos, but they're pulling all their code into one place to then be tested and deployed? Well, I mean, if you 
have a single machine that houses all of your services, right? And they're separate services that get deployed to that. Would we call that a monolith? In that, I mean, it's all running on one big machine, but probably not. I'd say that's probably still kind of the microservice thing. So I suppose another question we should probably touch on is when would you use a monolith? Startups. So I mean, if you're in your really early days and you want to go fast and you don't want to have to deal with like different languages popping up or, um, you know, having to manage dependencies, like some critical dependency needs an update and suddenly you're you're having to push that across 100 repos and deal with potentially breaking changes in all those repos one by one. Um, there's just a lot more like maintenance and management with microservices, right, to get it all to line up, get everything to run. Whereas with a, with a monolith, you've just, it's all in one place. You just hit one button, everything gets tested, everything runs, you know, it's all good to go. So I'd say startups is the, like the most applicable scenario for a monolith. We're working on, uh, I say we, um, my sister-in-law has started up a, a startup for a front-end, um, very front-end heavy application because she's a UX engineer basically. Um, and yeah, everything has to be on monolith. The idea of breaking that down that into microservices would just make no sense because I'm, I'm thinking about where we're at right now and it would be unmanageable. There's only like five people on the project. Mm. So it's like it just there's not enough conflict basically between those five people mm. working on that one repo to justify having microservices. Yeah, there's a lot more orchestration with microservices. It helps having no users because you don't need to scale out if you've got no <laughs> one using the service yet, right? Scale, is, is that a problem? With monoliths? Well, but, but you were saying that it, it's more startups, but does that mean like a company like Seek is should not be using monoliths at all? I would, I mean, I feel like the answer would be no, I think from my opinion. Um, it depends. Like if Seek had a startup, which like we do because we invest in other businesses and stuff, right? So like we've got Seek Business, which is a website for finding businesses and buying businesses. Um, and they, they, operate under a very startup-y kind of model in terms of like how they build and work on things. They don't have the same level of like, um, they don't have entire teams dedicated to building out platforms to help them go faster, right? Mm. Um, so I would think that like seek the job search site, probably it wouldn't make a lot of sense for us to use monoliths. Mm -hmm. um, but if we were to start up a, a small side venture, it would mm. make a lot of sense for us to just do it, do a monolith. But I, someone probably proved me wrong, right? Like I, I'm not aware of any scenarios, like I'm not familiar with any scenarios where a monolith would make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but my five, six years of engineering is, you know, someone out there is probably going to give me a reason why a monolith would make sense in a large, large corporation. One point you touched on was users. We do have some some services at Seek which are internal only, which won't have as many users using as we do on you know on the, the Seek.com. In which case, perhaps a monolith could work perhaps maybe it's just a small admin system or perhaps it is just small little mini sites uh, where, where they could technically just live in their own kind of monolith put everything in there maybe it's a very light kind of back end um, perhaps something like that it could I think it's still fine I think it's for, for me a monolith is good for more smaller things things that don't need that scale yet and then building out and you know once you have a monolith you can then take pieces out and and put them into microservices um, bit by bit. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like if we, because I was just, you're, you're saying that and it, it was making me remember that the APIs that we have, if we have an API that is writing to a database, it's doing no asynchronous process, like everything is completely synchronous, like it takes a request, reads everything in. There's some asynchronous calls to other APIs and stuff that are happening, right? But for the most part, 
when that request replies to the to the user, that's the com the request is completed. That would be a monolith, right? Like it doesn't have to be huge. Um, if it's doing more than one thing, then is it still a monolith? And now I'm like scratching my head thinking like, yeah. what is my definition of a monolith now? Because I always think like very large repos doing a lot of stuff. But if there's an API where you could extract the database, you know, stuff to some asynchronous process that's triggered off a Lambda or whatever, then if you've, you've taken something and made it more microservice-y. So, yeah. so I was it a monolith a before? Question. Can a monolith have... Lambdas? I mean, when I think monolith, I don't really think lambdas. When I think monolith, I kind of think, no, this is a service that is constantly up as long as the server's on and it's something I can always talk to. But what, there's, there's another thing about monoliths, and I'm sure you two are both aware of this. But if I said to you, oh, we've got this big monolith that we're trying to migrate away from, you're probably thinking it's legacy, it's slow, it's clunky, it's slowing us down, it's got bad code. That's kind of the wrap that monoliths seem to have. And one of the things that people often don't really think about is that you can have a really solid monolith that is coded incredibly well, that has a really good separation of concerns that just works. But people sometimes hear monolith and go, oh, it's a monolith. Yeah, I, I think sometimes uh, microservices is a resume word. It's just, oh, oh, you've used <laughs> microservices. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And then I remember when I was first learning about them, I, I immediately had that thought, like micro, uh, monoliths are bad, microservices are good. Like it was black and white, particularly when I was first learning it. But I think until you start using both of them in real world practice and, and learning where microservices have that orchestration that you need to, you know, that there's more to, to get them to all to work together. Um, yeah, there's, you can absolutely have a very well-made monolith that doesn't need to be split out into microservices for, you know, X amount of time. I guess then does the question become like less about whether you like or dislike microservices or monoliths and more about like scalability. It feels like where this conversation is heading is that scalability is the crux upon which the microservice versus monolith, mm -hmm. you know, seesaw teeters. So it definitely hits a point where scalability and possibly reliability become an issue with a monolith, right? Once you get to a certain size, there's only so much you can scale up. So when I think monolith, that's kind of what I think back to, whether or not that's accurate for everyone. Obviously, that's not going to apply across the board, but that's what I think monolith. We're going, okay, we've got a single code base that has some very hefty business logic that gets deployed to a single place however that's deployed is, you know, kind of a different story. Yeah, and I, and I do think a, a good part of um, monoliths is if you do have a small team that they are just kind of easier to, to work with. Like, uh, you know, a couple developers can handle one code base quite easily. something to be said about you can have multiple APIs within a given monolith, you know, because we're saying it's deployed as one chunk. So, you know, there's another example where you can have a lot of code in a single code base that potentially could be deployed as one chunk and that's monorepos. So, yeah, I was just about to say you, you earlier mentioned like, what about, oh, maybe I said like it, it's one code base, but now we have microservices in a monolithic structure with monorepos where you have multiple uh, yeah, microservices in one in one repo. Quick question: What do you think came first, mono repos, monoliths, or microservices? That's a good question. I 
I don't know. It's hard to know. I mean, I'd naturally, my, my knee-jerk reaction is, oh, it's absolutely the monolith came first, right? I mean, how did they deploy code in, in hmm. 1980, 1990? I have no idea. But then monorepo or microservices, which of them come first? Well, you've got to assume monorepo came first, right? Just shoving as many things as possible into one code base. I mean, maybe that was easier. Like, you know, if you you talk about like pre-Git days, it's like, well, what did what did we do? I mean, SVN and what TFS did we do? and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's it's kind of a blur now. It's mm. like it's just it's been blanked out of my memory. Everything pre-Git. Yeah. Hold on, do you, do you have a? Can you put that down as a notes as a Git topic? Because huh. uh, honestly, I don't know what what we could have done before Git. I've never lived that life. I was fortunate, I mean, maybe unfortunate enough to work in tech as an IT sysadmin network administrator before I got into software. And uh, that was before Git and we had SVN. So yep. it's definitely it's definitely a deep, deep rabbit hole to go down into. Um, but I just, one of the things that I remember the developers complaining about the most was uh, file conflicts, basically. So pre-Git, you have to check out a file. And if you try to grab a file to make a change, it would tell you, this is in use by this oh. user. You need to message them and tell them to stop using the file so that you can access it. Like how Dropbox kind of works. Like when you try and edit a file that someone's on. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly that like that. Terrible. I asked the question because when I was doing just some quick Googles to like for topics for, you know, talking points for today, um, I was interested in like monorepo where that came about uh, versus microservices. Like, because I just assumed that microservices came first and that monorepos, you might see where this is going, came after because people started to realize like, hey, there's benefits of having a monolith, right? Like there's benefits of having things in a single place. You can manage your dependencies a little bit better. Um, and then they started to build out tooling to help you deploy all of your microservices from a single code base. That's how I assumed that it worked. Monorepo is a term that's been around since the 90s. Oh, wow. So, yeah, monorepo is actually like, and microservices, what, 2009, 2008 kind of timeline? So, like a decade or more before microservices were even an idea, monorepos existed, which makes, and then I started to wonder, like, so people had monorepos with monoliths in them? They had, like, multiple large services that are just in a one thing? And then it's, I mean, maybe it's not about size. That? Monolith services. And that that's a question. What, what, what if it's about size? Like, well, is it? Is it about teams? Is it not actually even to do with the code? Because think about it. Like I've seen microservices that have hundreds of thousands of lines of code. And I've seen some that have like 100 lines of code. And you might say that, well, uh, sorry, it's 100,000 lines of code. It's it's a monolith. It's like, well, but what is it actually doing? Is it is it providing a single service? In which case, I'd, I'd say it kind of is a microservice, right? Mm -hmm. And who's maintaining it? Is it a team of one? Is it a team of 80? So... I kind of think about what's what's the business logic behind it. So you're you're saying that what is the micro and microservices? Is it the the mm. code size or is it the impact on the application itself? Yeah. And and conversely, then what what makes it the monolith? So right. is it is it possible to have a monolith that is a collection of microservices because it's deployed onto one box and it's just like well here's our our monolithic in-house server we can't really scale up because we've only got one server like is would we call that a monolith? I mean, I've definitely seen where that's the case in the sense that, you know, the server has the database, it has the APIs, it's also hosting the websites all on one box. And so you're like, so that to me is it, you know, there's there's three different layers there, but I 100% I call that a monolith. Right? But deployed independently? Yeah. So it's like, well, you can deploy your database schema, that's on one CI pipeline, and then you've got your front end that gets deployed on a separate pipeline, and then you've got your back end services. But I'd absolutely call that a monolith, right? 
Yeah, I feel like it keeps coming back to what I was saying, like the the thing that I said before. It feels like scalability, like how you can scale and the demands upon the service that tell it in which way it needs to scale. Like your database read writes are the the linchpin, right? So you need to scale that one thing. If you ca- if you need to scale that and the only solution is to scale your entire service, then that's a monolith, yeah. right? But if you're able to scale just the database capability so that it can read yeah. and write and handle your capacity and everything else can stay at like low co- at its current costs, that's a microservice. Like I feel like however you deploy it, however you manage the code base, that's a microservice because it has the capability to scale sideways. Mm-hmm. So we're saying a database could be a microservice. That doesn't really sound right. Right, but it's it. like if it's a service that just reads and writes to a table, then like, yeah, isn't that's a service, right? I, yeah. I would say so too. I, like, I was just thinking back to in inter, interconnections between it. Like, could in a monolith, typically you can't just like swap um, an entire backend out. I would say, like, mm. if if you got a, I've just worked on uh, code bases which uh, you know have a. Uh, a React front end PHP backend as a monolith, and it's all very tightly connected. And then, so swapping, trying to s- like uh, swap that um, PHP backend out was very tough. So we had to kind of make a, a microservice for the backend and slowly kind of uh, get the two connected. So I, I, f- I feel like with what you're saying, with like, is a database a microservice? I say it could be if you can swap that out easily. And I'd say, yeah, it's it's a small part of it. It's it's a, a micro service um, that you could probably easily swap in and out with other things. It's interesting because <clears throat> I was just thinking, as you're saying that, I was agreeing with you in my head, and then I was I was thinking, but what's stopping someone from developing a second replacement within that same monolith code base, and then just like you know doing a brand number, like have ten percent of traffic mm-hmm. feed to the new, t- you know what I mean, to the new mi- the new component that you've built, mm-hmm. like it would still, would it, st- it would still be a monolith, right? Like, so like you can, I guess in that scenario, swap out something. It just depends on your strategy for swapping out that component. But the way in which your team did it was the microservice approach, right? To completely decouple the, the repos and have it be its own standalone service that they communicate through something like SQS yes. something, or HTTP or something like that, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like uh, at the start of this, it felt very clear. Like I couldn't even answer the question because the question felt so obvious like and what's a monolith now it's like well uh, i don't know what is a monolith <laughs> now, now, what's now, up what's down yeah now it looks like that big black uh monolith in the middle of 2001 space Odyssey again you're like how does it work what is this we're all monkeys talking about monoliths Let's talk about some of the advantages and then we'll talk about some of the disadvantages. We, yeah, I feel like there's not, like we touched, it's, it's similar to like when we, f- we asked the initial question, right? I feel like it's one of those questions that the answer feels somewhat obvious. It's like small team, easy to manage dependencies, easy to deploy. Yeah. You don't have like multiple builds that can break. You don't have any like interchange, interconnected dependencies. Everything is just, it's simple. Okay, so when I think of the advantages, the kind of top ones that come to mind are, Usually easy to deploy, whether, you know, especially if you've got really good CI/CD hooked up, one-click deploy for a, a monolith, usually a lot easier than trying to deploy a lot of microservices. Development, usually pretty easy. One code base, easy to go and work on. All the stuff's there, all the references are there, as opposed to, you know, importing packages and other things. We've got performance in that, you know, if it's just one API, it's, it's calling internally, so it probably isn't relying on network and other things. Um, 
end-to-end testing is probably easier because everything's within the one thing. Um, and, you know, debugging is probably easier too if you're not relying on a bunch of interconnected services and following hops and going what service talk to where. God, end-to-end services, that, uh, end, not to end-to-end service, end-to-end testing. That's not something that I, I mean, it feels obvious. A lot of this, it feels obvious after the fact, but that's not something that I was thinking about too much. But we're going through the challenges of trying to figure out how to implement end-to-end testing across multiple services right now. And that is one thing that is, I feel like, inarguably made much more challenging in a microservice world. When, you, yeah. when you've got, you know, services that are within the same, like, conceptual domain, from, like, a domain-driven design perspective, like, they're under the same hat. Like, my team's large. We've got 20-odd engineers across the entire hiring monetization and insights space. Um, so people outside of that domain would view our services as kind of one conglomerate. Like, I want to get prices for products that I want to post an ad, right? Like, that's, that's what the hire wants to achieve. They think about that as, like, one core thing. Um, testing all those services together, if it was in a mono, a mono repo, in a monolith, it would be somewhat trivial, right? Like, the same amount of code would be getting tested, but you'd be doing it in one place. And everything's up or down at the same time. There's no, like, halfway through your test, something gets deployed and suddenly the test fails. But is that necessarily the case? Can't I have a monolith that's, you know, got a load balancer and got, like, six servers? So, I mean, maybe it's up or it's down. Again, yeah. feels like feels like the more we talk about it, the more it's like what the difference between the two becomes less and less clear to me. It just depends on how you build the system. feels like even the limitations that I'm thinking of with microservices like you just said, could exist in a monolith depending on how you build it, if you built it with like load balances and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, you you can have a monolith that's a physical server and you can have load balances routing to it, or you could have multiple services or multiple VMs, even though it's the one code base. So, you know, you, you can have a monolith that deploys to, you know, an EC2 instance, or you can have it deploy to a single server, or you could have it deploy to multiple and then load balance out. So saying... I, I think you've captured the essence there of one of the key traits is that if one thing's down, it's usually all down when it comes to a monolith, right? Mm. And so I'd say that's a key drawback and that kind of hits on the reliability there. So Yeah, right. So I, I'm on, just just as an, an, an external view, this is a, I'm on a Martin Fowler uh, website. There's an article just about mono, um, microservices. Uh, yeah, and it says the term monolith has been used by the Unix community for some time. It appears it appears in the art of Unix programming to describe systems that get too big. The art. Yeah. Systems that get too big. Yeah. Okay. So, but what do you call it when it's not too big? That's a, a great question. I don't know. Is it just a list? Is it just yeah. a microlith? Yeah, micro-lith? a microlith. Because it's not a service. If it's doing like a lot of different yeah. stuff, like it's a small code base, but it's doing 10 different jobs. Mm-hmm. It's not a microservice. Mm-hmm. I suppose you'd probably say it's not a distributed system is the main thing. Yeah, that's yeah. If you, yeah, that's probably the m- the best term is like distributed versus centralized, right? Mm-hmm. And w- what are the differences between them? Well, I think it's like, yeah, right. Because if you've got multiple components within a single system that are interacting with each other, because oh, I was about to say like it's when two things have to talk to each other across a layer that they don't intrinsically have access to. Like if you What's a what's a less a less wordy way of saying that? Uh, if the service has to reach out over the hardware layer to communicate to another service, mm-hmm. then it's a microservice mm-hmm. in my mind. So, like, if it has to do some kind of network operation. Okay. So then, 
if it's not a network operation? What if it's just... It could be two services running on the same machine. Yeah, oh, this hurts my brain the more I think <laughs> about it. So, uh, Sorry, it could, could, do you want to describe what a distributed service is and a, what was the other one you said? Centralized. Centralized service. Yeah, do you want to describe what that... Because I, I don't quite know exactly what those are. So a distributed system is... Maybe the simple way to explain it is it's business logic that is handled across a number of things, whether those things are services or APIs or whatever else. I'd say that your logic, your business logic, has been distributed across many things. Think mm -hmm. of it like a bunch of different baskets. My eggs are in baskets, and they're in a lot of baskets. That's kind of what I picture. Could they be distributed but running on the same physical hardware? Well, I think it's fair to say, yes, they could. I feel like it's fair theoretically to say that they could, but I feel like in practice... Like I would, I would struggle to think um, again, maybe it's just lack of exposure to the, to the most ideal system. Like maybe it makes the most sense for you to have a bunch of different services deployed onto a single machine. And then that's a distributed system. But to me, to me, if, if it's just, if I was going to call it distributed, I would think that it has to be on separate machines mm, and even if they're separate virtual. Okay. So there's the distinction. AWS have giant machines that run many instances of an EC2, right? So like when I think about different systems, not not the same, they could be on the same physical system because in reality, that's probably what's happening over at Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got a different instance of a virtual machine on that hardware. Where's the distinction between, where, where's the line you draw to make mm -hmm. a distributed system? I'm just, this is what's on Wikipedia. Um, so see how this relates to your view on it. A distributed system is a system whose components are located on different network computers, which communicate and coordinate their actions by passing messages to one another. Okay, so we're saying a network call. It has to leave yeah. the system it's on and make a network call. Well, okay, I can messages with that. Stuff. Yeah, which, I mean, to me, that sounds like a like microservices working together. Yeah, and if you were to have multiple EC2s on a single physical machine talking to each other, that... I would just, that's virtualized networking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's yeah. it's still a network call. Like, that that instance has to package up that request in some way that some other machine can unwrap it and identify it. So that's like, that's HTTP or IP or whatever. Like all of these protocols follow that same core idea. It's like you're wrapping it, you're attaching something to it, identifier so that the other machine can unwrap it and pick it apart. Yeah. But yeah, I guess you could have, so I, I, would ju I just, I just looked up, can monoliths be distributed services? Do you guys, what do you guys think actually before? I, I, mean, I would have said no before today, but Elliot, said uh made the suggestion of having like your monolith deployed across multiple machines with a load balancer in front of them like yeah is that not a distrib you've just distrib you've distributed your monolith right that's a distribution yeah and i mean and and this little excerpt is saying if your application has too much synchronous communication between services it can be a distributed mon monolith even if it implements microservice arch architecture Hold on, a microservice monolith? Wow, my head. Yeah, is well, really I guess, but I guess that's right. Like, if if your app isn't is doing is too much synchronously, perhaps. So can I have an asynchronous monolith? Wait, I think we've oh. just tapped into it. It sounds like it sounds like I mean, by this definition, mm -hmm. then it's it's how many services does your service provide? Mm -hmm. And how many services? I mean, it kind of falls back to business logic there. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, what is what is it providing? Mm -hmm. So really, I think. The, the interesting thing that we're not talking about is we're not talking about how many lines of code. No. Mm -mm, we're not no. saying a monolith is a million lines of code or no. a thousand lines of code. We're kind of talking about what does it actually do? Mm -hmm. we, we can clearly see there are some positives, definitely. Some of the negatives, you know, 
it really sounds like scalability was one that you touched on earlier, Seamus, that you couldn't deploy one without deploying the others. And that, you know, means you, you couldn't scale up the database you mentioned without scaling up the rest of the service, uh, the server rather. And it's like, yeah, that, that kind of seems like a big disadvantage to monoliths. What other disadvantages would you say there are? I feel like we've probably given mm, yeah. a lot of disadvantage, like a lot of the core things, right? Um, do, do you have any popping on the top of your mind, Elliot? Lack of flexibility can definitely be one. Uh -huh. I mean, picking up a new technology can be quite difficult. Like if you said, oh, we want to start trying out Go for X, Y, and Z, and it's like, ah, I can't really do that without rewriting my whole monolith. That's Yes, that's what I meant more about like the swapping things. And that. That, the flexibility, I think, is more what I was trying to, trying to get at. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I agree with that. Like a lot of our monoliths moved from C Sharp, C Sharp, yeah, .NET over to JavaScript and TypeScript, you know, five years sort of around about then, or at least that's when some of the stuff I was involved with was getting sunsetted. Um, I couldn't imagine how we would build that if we were going to build it as another monolith. I mean, you'd, it'd be a slow, long project, which, you know, as a lot of people know, that's those, those things are the deaths of businesses a lot of the time. So I think like it felt like the most natural way to go would be the microservice route. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think probably most big tech companies have fallen into that same, um, not trend, but like into that same wave of, I need to get rid of my old service. It's been around for 20 years since we first were a startup. We need something that can scale uh, horizontally. Um, naturally, if you want to replace a single component, it just feels like the most suitable thing to do would be to just microservice from there. We, we talked about deployment before being a really, really good thing, but I think as the business goes on, deployment gets really, really bad. So you're talking about a 20-year-old company is like, oh, we need to move to microservices because we need to X. Well, one of the reasons I've definitely seen is deployment becomes really slow. So you're like, oh, I just need to deploy a small change to the UI. Oh, it's got to go through the one big CI/CD pipeline and it's going to take me two hours to go out. I, I, I even recall when I was back at uni, you know, one of the guest speakers was talking about their particular app took 24 hours to build and deploy. Wow, that's a long so time. So they were like, so when you were deploying a change, you had to be sure that it was going to work yeah. because it would take a really long time to get another version out there. And, you know, when I hear that kind of slowness, I'm like, the feedback loop is insane. Like, you've got to have a short feedback loop in development. And I think with microservices, I'm feeling like that's much easier to do. Yet, at the same time, we were talking about startups moving fast Monolith, everything's in the same place. You're like, well, it's, it's kind of easier to move fast. It's kind of easier to have that quick feedback loop, but then deployments can be slow. It's, it's really context dependent, isn't it? Because it sounds like you can really have good monoliths and bad monoliths. But, but, but then again, that comes back to like mono repos. You can surely have a monolith set up in a mono repo still and, and still distribute everything to the same computer and everything, you know, could like that could, that could just be a way around it still having a monolith. I mean, we do that in some instances at Seek, right? Like, I mean, not with monoliths, but like achieving the same scalability of distributed stuff, like the way that our UI components are built in a single library that's all, you know, like componentized through React components, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, we get the benefits of having a single repo in the sense that we can all like share and access each other's code despite them being from separate um, packages and whatnot. And we, you know, we've all got one single platform for uh, testing everything and deploying everything, but still the tests from other components aren't blocking your components. Like yeah. they've all got, they've basically achieved the best of both worlds. So like we're definitely at a time where with the right kind of engineering, you can 
have the core benefits of both scenarios. Um, I can't imagine people doing mono repo monoliths mm. now though. I'd, like I said before, I feel like the natural thing is to, as soon as you need to replace a monolith, I feel like could be an experience thing. feels like microservicing out each sub feature is the right way to go at that point. But I mean, based on the definition that a monolith does lots of stuff. Mm, yeah. But, but also in that way, I, I agree only because it's become so much easier to deploy microservices now, like to, to get something into a microservice compared to, you know, making a monolith that like there is more orchestration, but just kind of getting it and deploying it isn't overly complex. Okay, so something else we've talked about a fair bit is microservices. Have we really defined what a microservice is? I feel like it's the inverse of a, of a monolith, right? Like yeah. if if we, because we were, at least I was struggling to define the difference between the two things. I th And I, before I was saying it was about scale, I felt like a scale out was the crux where um, you could define the two, but now I'm starting to lean more towards, it's just the features, right? It's the amount of, yeah. amount of uh, services that it's providing. If that's the definition for a monolith is lots of services it provides, then I would think a microservice is a singular service, mm. which is interesting because like we've got APIs that feel monolithic to me, um, not having worked in massive, massive monoliths, uh, but it's a microservice because it's just doing one thing. Like it, it just, it builds one asset for you and returns mm. that asset to you. Does it use other microservices? Cause you said you had a lot of microservices that use other microservices. Yeah. Well, it's, this particular service would maybe be talking to four or five different APIs. Mm. Um, and it's funny because it just depends on where you draw the lines. I feel like whenever we talk about these things, like theoretical computer science stuff, it's just where you want to draw the boundary in your of your box, mm. right? So like I, I conceptualize this particular API that I'm talking about as being a microservice because it does one thing, but it kind of does five things to achieve that one thing. Yeah. So, but is that the one thing that it does? Yeah, is it, is it, it, maybe it's the responsible. It's responsible for this one thing. It's yeah, I'd say it's responsible for that one thing, right? And it leans on other services to get the pieces that it needs to build that asset for you. Yeah, and all of those services are responsible for their one thing as well. Yeah, right. So, would it be safe to say that a microservice is something that's deployable on its own, testable on its own? It doesn't block other things from being deployed or tested, and it's, you know, it it might have its own database, it might not, that's kind of neither here nor there. It's more that its business logic is contained within itself and you can develop, you can deploy, you can test without impacting any other services. We'd say that's, that's kind of a microservice? Yeah, I'd think so. But it's, again, it's like if that thing had a database that it was running locally and that database couldn't be scaled horizontally for some reason. Like if the, yeah, no, yeah, I think. Cause the database itself, right? Like, I mean, yeah. If it's a microservice, then like your read writes would be in relation to your like requests. Mm -hmm. So like your vertical is your horizontal, like scaling, if it's a microservice and it's doing one thing, then scaling that one thing, it's kind of either direction, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Will? I feel like we just need to listen to the entire podcast back, but pretend it's opposite day. Mm -hmm. And then we'll figure out what a microservice is. Um, yep. 
what do you, what do you think when it comes to benefits of microservices? What what's the first thing that pops into your head? Yeah, I don't know, just easier to just more flexible. I mean, like to me flexibility is such a big key part of it. It makes it sound like microservices are amazing because you know they are flexible and it does break things out and it is easier. I mean, it's more flexible to swap things and, and like as to other services and you know responsibility one a microservice can be responsible for just one thing which is nice to have you know teams split up into a ways like they can uh, you know manage microservices i feel like monoliths really do have a big impact on on you know startups and stuff like that like i i, ju I just feel like there's there's a lot of good things with with uh, with uh, monoliths and I've, most of my coding i think has been done with monoliths that's interesting at Seek as well? Maybe less so at Seek. Actually, the, the bigger the... I feel like the bigger the company, the less monoliths are around. Yeah. But I, I don't always think that's for, for the better. I mean, there are some things which that are, that are just so split up so granularly that it's like, it would have just been easier if these were a monolith sometimes. It kind of sounds like you're saying that if, if a distributed system is too distributed, like, or even just making a system distributed doesn't actually solve anything necessarily? Like whatever problems you had in a monolith may be amplified or worse in microservices? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm i now thinking about a scenario that we're in at the moment where we have um, like changes. We're trying to make design changes to the shape of our response schema um, to more realistically represent uh, the data to match like the real world. And that sounds great in theory, but the amount of work that that cascades into into other teams' yeah. domains that we don't have a part of, that we don't have access to, that we can't contribute to, um, you know, like we're not familiar with, is it's significant. Like the amount of friction that's been created through the introduction of microservices. And as this conversation's going on, I'm, it's making me more aware of how the friction of Monorepo. It's I I don't I would like to think that the friction is reduced by microservices, but I actually think that the friction becomes less technological and more like personal people. Like mm -hmm. you're just trading off one kind of friction for another kind of friction. And it's really like if you, if you build your teams and systems well, um, then that friction is reduced regardless of whether you choose microservice or monolith. It sounds, it sounds like the, a lot of the challenges that we might talk about with monoliths exist with monorepos as well, depending on how you implement it, how you deploy it, whether it's distributed, not distributed, how many responsibilities it has, that kind of stuff. But I think, I think undeniably a challenge that you wouldn't, like I would imagine you wouldn't have as much with, with a monolith is the people challenge, mm -hmm. like the communication challenge between two teams. Because at, at some point having a monolith means like, a level of consistency that's almost like forced on you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like we have to build schemas to represent the response from our API, which we would not even need if it was a monolith because the system's just, it's already connected. You don't, you don't have a response, right? Because microservices, like it does sound like, you know, the solution to all of our ails, you know, we can move fast, we can deploy lots of things, we can scale really easily, you know, look at Netflix and, you know, that web scale envy kind of going on, look at how Netflix can scale and, you know, the chaos monkeys and all these things that can survive. But, you know, what about those disadvantages? It really sounds like it's a developmental headache here that just having microservices hasn't actually solved that problem or it's introduced problems you wouldn't have had. So what other negatives do we have? 
with well, microservices. It's interesting. You kind of just touched on one then, talking about Chaos Monkey, right? Like this whole paradigm, I wouldn't say paradigm shift because I don't think a lot of companies like went, oh, Chaos Monkey, we need to do that too. But this idea of just running your system, feeding it in, you know, absolute chaos and seeing how it falls apart in your production system was a, a concept pioneered by, I'm pretty sure it was pioneered by Netflix, um, to essentially deal with the complexity of the microservice distribution. Like we can't realistically track all the systems we're deploying and building and all the ways in which they relate to each other. We can't build a reliable staging system that we can use to actually test across the entire service, like the entire website. So the, the you know, out of that complexity, like rather than some, you know, structured testing stratagem that would be, you know, very lengthy and involve lots of people, they just said, let's just punch chaos into the machine and see what happens. So like that kind of speaks to one of the major issues of microservices, right, is that complexity. Some of the things that, that come to mind for me in terms of disadvantages, potentially we've got, you know, cost is a huge one. You know, once you start talking about, you know, oh, but we've got lambdas, we've got lots of things we can scale out really, really easily. And it's like, yeah, but if, if you're launching millions and millions of lambdas, it's like that's going to that's gonna be pretty expensive versus just one $100,000 server or server rack that you're paying for, right? It's just kind of that one-off cost, big up front. But then you get granular cost control. So it's mm. like, even for cost, there's benefits, right? Like the, there's that trade-off is if you need to meet that demand in a monolith, the cost might be higher, right? Yeah. Whereas in this case, you're like, you're only paying for what you're using. And I think that's the thing about microservices that from, even for startups, like working with a monolith, as soon as you've got traffic and costs become a concern, like, oh, we need to actually, as fine-grained as possible control how our users use our system and how our system scales that's the best one of the best advantages i think of of services like aws or any other cloud service is just being able to target the demand of your system and then pay just to have that thing grow perhaps access control as well being yep. able to uh to lock people out of kind of uh editing and modifying one service yeah yeah what about ownership do you think that's easier or harder with microservices you can yeah I, I guess it would depend on how how the monolith is structured as well how you structure your teams around the monolith i guess yeah not sure not having had a lot of experience working on monoliths couldn't probably comment on um like how teams structure themselves around the code base because you can, at least in Git, you can, with the code owners file, you can choose which folders and files and stuff that specific, you know, teams own. Uh, and you can get pretty granular with that. I mean, y yes, I think it would be easy with a microservice like this. If this entire team owns this service, yeah. Um, but you can kind of split it out with, with monoliths as well. So wouldn't you say there's potentially a disadvantage, though, about having microservices in the ownership of those services? I mean, as more services get created and more teams get created, knowing who owns what, that kind of becomes a little bit more difficult, right? You have to build entire systems, right? Entire systems around how to manage the access to those systems. You, you need a service to track the services? Yep, yep. You need a service to manage, like, every, every, basically you start having to build more services to manage the complexity of your distribution of your microservices, right? Mm. And we do have some of that, some things, some services to help us keep up with dependencies across all our services and stuff like that, which would, would be simpler in a, in a, in a monolith. Or even a monorepo. Mm. Making sure that things are consistent. So like security is something we haven't really talked about. Obviously in microservices, the more, I think the more anytime 
complexity grows, you you start to introduce risk. Um, and I think in the case for microservices, that risk comes in security, definitely. Mm-hmm. But would that also mean, cause, but, but in a monolith, perhaps if there's one security f- exploit, that could exploit multiple services. Whereas perhaps in a microservice, it's one security exploit is just going to take one service down. Yeah, I mean, and vice versa. If you've got one security vulnerability in that one service, you just mm. update that one thing and it's gone. Yeah. But if you've got that that vulnerability distributed across 10, 20 microservices and only half the teams are aware of it, yeah, true. how long does it run for? Dependency maintenance. Now, that is a massive headache when it comes to services, right? Like, if you imagine you've got one service running. Oh, I've got an updated dependency. Mm. Easy. If I've got a 1,000 services running and I've got to update half of those because there's a critical issue, it's like... Okay, that's suddenly a huge job. Whereas before with the monolith, I only had to update one place. And now you're telling me I have to update, what, 500 repos mm. or 500 services within my mono repo, if that was the case. I can't imagine actually having a mono repo with 500 services. That sounds kind of nuts, but who knows? I, well, apparently, don't Facebook have like a, or Google or something, have like a giant mono repo with like everything in it? Everything ever yeah, in the one Google repo? I, I, it was Facebook or Google. It was a I big company. Google. Yeah. I, I, one of the companies has like some, I think it was like the Google search engine yeah, or something like I that. Like the Google so. search was yeah. a mono repo or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like and the it, site and everything. And it did have apparently hundreds of things. I mean, I, I'm just, this is off my memory. I could be totally wrong. But from what I remember, it was quite shocking when I first heard it. There you go. Yeah, it is Google. I just did a quick Google. Google monolith. First result, why Google stores billions of lines of code in a single repository. 2016. And it's a paper, a research paper by Google. Oh, wow. We talked a lot about microservices. We've talked a lot about monoliths and back and forth. Which one do you feel is better, Will? Well, I feel like if you've come into this podcast for answers, like I think we've raised more questions now. My my thoughts on monorepos and microservices is uh, probably less black and white as it was before. I don't think there is a black and white on what is better or what is worse. I, I think particularly for, for smaller teams, for startups, for smaller projects, for, for things that don't need that flexibility, uh, that flexibility of a microservice, uh, monorepos are great and you can structure them well and there is tooling to make them work really well. Um, and on the, uh, and same on the other way, I think microservices really do have their benefits, particularly for you know larger uh, organizations and, and things that have a lot of services running you know together, intertwining. Um, but I think it just all depends on how, like, how you organize it all um, and yeah, how you kind of keep everything in check. I, I think that's really the organization. I think is really what's going to hinder or hurt you in the long run, no matter which which option you take. Yeah, I feel like it was a lot clearer to me when I came into the room. I, I felt like it was. I had a much more um, crystal clear distinction in my mind between the two things. And the more we talk about it, the more I realize that um, it's kind of just a shift in one direction or the other. And I think like for any yeah, like you said, for anyone who's like wanting a little bit of insight into like which direction they should go, I. I I feel like one of the things you can't steer away from is um, like scale. It's it's scale really, like startup versus large corporation. How many teams do you have? Um, yeah, I, you could probably make an argument one way or the other, even for large corporations. There's probably just some tipping point where if you got enough data, you could see where your scalability hits a certain threshold and then you kind of maybe get forced to go in one direction or the other. Thanks for listening to Seek Bytes. That was us talking about microservices and monorepos. No, that's not what we were talking about. Well, we did talk about monorepos a My- little bit. Microservices and 
Microliths, mon- 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 microliths and monorepos. Yep. <laughs> Listening to Seek Bytes, the engineering podcast for engineers by engineers, brought to you by Seek.com. Thanks, and we'll see you in the next one. <laughs>